This is exactly right. Welcome to my favorite murder, the Celebrity Hometown Edition. That's right. Celebrities, hometowns, it's all in the name right there. Right? Yeah. There's no mystery to this. It's easy. <laughs> it's, it goes down easy. That's easy. right. There's no no heavy lifting on the listener's end. The way we do with all those other podcasts. <laughs> Not this one. We said no more of the lifting. Our backs, our backs can't take it. Our oh, souls can't take it. That's right. Guys, you're going to be very excited about our celebrity today. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I'd say a five-star celebrity. Absolutely. Wouldn't you? <laughs> you know him from Parks and Rec. You know him from the Great North. You may have seen him on his uh, recent limited Netflix series, Colin in Black and White. You love him. He plays clubs and colleges all over this country. <laughs> it's Mr. Nick Offerman. Hello. Hello. Nick, hi. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful to be here. I love your podcast. I I feel weird because I was thinking about it this morning. Can a grizzled uh, middle-aged guy be called a murderino? Hell yeah. Yeah, it, that, that spans genres I don't, and ages. Yes. And I, you're I totally aspire in. to murder right now. It's a comfort. And, and for that reason, it's really a comfort to hear your voices. Like you are podcast hosts that I know and love. Aww. Oh, that means the world to us. Thank you. Right back at you. Pish. <laughs> Nick, can I just bring up really quick your book? which I have, I've been reading like, almost like, a, you know, just to kind of really relax me, like a couple pages right before I go to sleep. And if you haven't heard of it, Nick's written a book called Where the Deer and the Antelope Play, The Pastoral Observations of One Ignorant American <laughs> Who Loves to Walk Outside. And that just kind of a nice, clean, crisp title. Mm. Right? <laughs> Will you tell the people about that book a little bit? Because it's really good. Yeah. I totally will. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I just want to say it's my fifth book and my publisher, I always want, I always pitch my titles to stand alone, paddle your own canoe, gumption, <laughs> fun. and they're, they're a, a corporation. And so they're like, eh, we need to spoon feed the people. Like who's, who's going to buy a book called gumption or where the deer and the antelope play. So it's become this game that I try to enjoy, where I try to make myself laugh with the subtitle I then, <laughs> yeah, so the pastoral observations of one ignorant American who loves to walk outside. Um, and that's, that's basically what it is. It is my, my sort of musings on our relationship with nature or lack thereof, and by our, I mean us humans. And, you know, uh, the awareness I have through being inspired by agrarian writers like Wendell Berry and Michael Pollan and Aldo Leopold and their ilk, Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, reading their stuff and coming to understand how dumb we are (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to like knowing who makes our food, for example, and just just Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm somebody who's interested in it, and I can barely discern this information. Who 
where did this beef come from? Where did these turnips come from? And how are we as a species treating our planet mm. vis-a-vis like creating our food and basically using the resources? So with a sense of humor, the, the book chronicles in three parts travels that I've, that I've taken to national parks with my friends Jeff Tweedy and George Saunders. Um, I go visit my shepherd family friends in England, mm-hmm. uh, James Rebanks and his family. And then uh, the last third of the book, my, my wife, Megan Mullally, and myself travel uh, a bunch of the United States in an airstream that we bought. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of hijinks, but also it's it's like asking myself and my readers questions like, do we still want to be eating corn in 40 years? And how can we make that happen? Yeah. I mean, starting that book, I was like, I wrote down the phrase agrarian writers because you were talking about, I was like, now I have to do research on write, on reading this book. But it is that kind of thing. I didn't realize there was actually this kind of history of people who have been recording these kind of states of the state and what nature means to man type of things. I, I guess I just never thought about it before. But like from like page three, I was like, ooh, that's very true. I need to look further into that. That's, yeah, that's the hook. That's what got me in the first place is realizing, oh, that's right. We we have been coddled into the great luxury of not having to think about where all of our shit comes from as consumers. And the corporations love that. They love to keep yeah. us completely in our dark bubbles where they're like, just press this button and we'll send you... The, the new version of the thing. And now it yeah. comes in seven colors. And now we want you to buy silverware for every season of the year. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a question about nature. Do you have any advice for someone who say, like myself, was traumatized as a kid because her dad took her camping constantly and now nature makes her nervous and seems like a lot of work? Is there something bigger than me that you can, or or for people who don't really love camping, outdoorsy stuff? Oh, totally. I mean, the cool thing is uh, nature is actually, everything is actually nature. (laughs) Like Hmm. this this Zoom meeting that we're having right now (laughs) is a molecular version of nature. And so- That's insane. (laughs) Camping is like in the genre of like getting out into nature, as it were, you know, like, yeah. And, and uh, achieving to your degree of comfort or not a sort of uh, wilderness excursion, um, whether that means walking through your neighborhood park or going backpacking and, and like mm-hmm. pooping in the woods and stuff. <laughs> um, that's, that's just one genre. There's all these other genres of like communing with animals that could be at your local shelter, could be at a local farm. The farmer's market is lousy with nature. It could be like, who makes the best strawberries? Or maybe I should start cultivating the best strawberries in my neighborhood or whatever that means. I mean, that's that's the thing is re- reminding ourselves or like who makes cloth or, or uh, clothing or leather goods mm-hmm. in your area, reminding ourselves. And for me, it, it comes hand in hand with my woodworking shop quite a bit. Uh, understanding just our materials and where they come from. And, you know, looking at like the way our species uh, rapaciously 
cuts down forests uh, day in and day out and how terrible that is for the whole ecosystem. So that's the, you know, that's the hilarious hijinks that the book is full of <laughs> stories. No, I love that. it. But I think that's really good advice yeah. because that that's the feeling I had like reading this book is, oh, I am not this way enough. And I have to like now drive myself like five miles into the forest to blah, blah, whatever, where it's like, oh no, I can actually just do half steps or beginner steps you don't have to make that crazy adjustment to still appreciate and get connected to locally sourced, um, you know, family grown or like farm grown things or just a little being a little bit more maybe choosy and active in that like supporting nature idea. It's like when I when I buy the <laughs> do you ever buy those eggs that are like so free range that they come with a little slip where it tells you what the names of the chickens were that laid the eggs. <laughs> totally. Oh like, I love that. <laughs> it's like, it's not, you know, I mean, hope to God that it's not, you know, as opposed to the horrible things you've seen with factory farming, it's like, oh, there's just a couple nice chickens. It That's is. a good product. There's actually a bit in my book about that very thing because the, the USDA uh, has the list of words that you can legally put on your eggs it's all it's all part of the the bullshit industrial mm-hmm. complex where it's like among the adjectives you can put on your eggs are organic and also 100% organic those are two different <laughs> categories oh man but i mean yeah that, that's that's the idea and and you make a great point karen is that i urge us all to enter into these conversations with a sense of nuance because when, when I myself think of these things, I'm like, oh, conservation is so hard. Like, do I have to join Greenpeace and go like <laughs> attack whale boats or something? <laughs> and, and I even make fun of myself at the end of the book where Megan and I are driving around in a forward expedition, pulling a 30 foot airstream, just guzzling gas like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Well, I'm well, I'm having these like pastoral musings about our relationship with with our natural resources, and the point is, we all are complicit. We all exist in this incredible matrix of electricity and, and fossil fuels and so forth. Uh, that doesn't prohibit us from saying, okay, but let's wrap our heads around what we need to fix, what mistakes we're making, and yes, absolutely. Uh, when we are able to travel the country without burning tons of gas, I will happily sign up for that. But I think I think the answers lie less in our individual consumption and more in having our heads in the right place so that we can vote for the right legislation so that yeah. we can, as a country, make decisions that are good for the, the planet rather than allow our corporations to make those decisions. Yeah. Love it. Although corporations are people. <laughs> that's true. That, that's where it gets confusing. They're, yeah, it's uh, they, they blurred the line there a couple of years ago, and mm. now it's just so baffling. I haven't found a corporation that was that was brought up well is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> never, never found a corporation that picks up the check. No. Yeah, that's right. No manners. So what you're saying is that climate change is real. <laughs> yes or no? Here, this is the bad news. <laughs> that is that is what I'm positing. Got it. Breaking Got it. news. Yeah, call Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm definitely getting a beehive now based on this conversation alone. So 
It is. Um, I mean, it's funny because I've, I've, I'm very passionate about the subject matter, but I think it is uh, a very enjoyable book. People have described it as like sitting on the porch with yep. me while I, you know, describe running into people on the trail. <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, also, I think your voice is so distinctive and your manner of speaking is so distinctive that the second you begin to read your writing, you can hear your speaking voice and your word choice and your, it all is very, it's borderline audiobook, even though I'm reading the hard copy book. <laughs> I appreciate it's that. Thank you. Comforting. Style. Yeah. Comforting. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. What, anything else? Let's go. I mean, I saw some of the pictures of you guys on the road. I mean, did anything crazy happen to you guys when you were driving around the country? Uh, not not super crazy. I mean, it, it was very pandemic style and and we're also uh, private to begin with. And so we were actually sort of helped by our penchant to wear masks whenever we um, were around people. Because yeah, that, sure. that's one thing that's a little weird about uh, hiking with Jeff Tweedy <laughs> and, and George Saunders, who's less recognizable because he's an author. It's funny, I because I'm a an actor, people would recognize me the most. And then sometimes they'd recognize Jeff and we would always be like, but... <laughs> <laughs> but this guy. <laughs> and this is the full wizard uh, that you wish you knew. Uh, like afterwards they Google him and then like, oh my God, I yeah. met him. Totally. That's why you got to look at the picture on the book flap. You, That's every right. time. That's it's right. your job as the as the reader. It's true. And... And so, I mean, it was, you know, for us, it was our first time. We're, we're new to the Airstream life or streaming, as they say. <laughs> and, and so it was an exciting adventure, but pretty banal, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I had some real struggles uh, hitching the, the trailer to my expedition the first time mm. that uh, I do relay with a lot of self-deprecation in part three. <laughs> was there a city? Because all I care about when I travel is food. That's mine and my husband's thing. Was there a city that you, or like a town, state that you think has the best, best food? Well, um, the things that spring to mind are, um, there's a couple things. In in Santa Fe, New Mexico, mm. we stumbled onto this coffee shop and I wasn't super familiar these are especially around New Mexico. It's sort of a Mexican and even South American, Central and South American related coffee chocolate tradition. These elixirs mm-hmm. that, are, that are consumed like a coffee shop, but they're different recipes of, of chocolate. And it was called Cacaoa Chocolate House with spelled uh-huh. with a K. And it, was, it blew our minds so hard that we, we went hours out of our way on this road trip. We went back like three times. Oh my God. We'd be cold in the mountains and say, what if, you know, it'd go down pretty good right now? <laughs> Santa Fe chocolate drink. Was it spicy a little bit? Yeah, that's the best version. Yeah. Our combo of chocolate and, and like different chili peppers. Uh, mm. That's good for you. It's healthy. It was really great. And I, I loved it, especially when I then had to drive for some hours because, boy, are you wired. 
after a big mug of hot pepper and chili. Yes, that sounds amazing. That's actually perfect road fuel. That's just like every part of you is awake. And and deliciously so. Yeah, definitely. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Well, Nick, do you want to tell us about your hometown? I will. You know, I, I grew up in a small town called Manuka, Illinois, that is very conservative. Just a couple few thousand people when I was growing up. It's, it's grown, I feel like it's up to maybe 12,000 which we recently found out because my dad is actually the mayor. He was just elected <laughs> mayor of Manuka. That's amazing. It is. It's, it's unsurprising. I mean, I think most people meeting my dad would be surprised that he wasn't the mayor yeah. for the preceding 20 years. But he was like everybody's favorite school teacher. He, he taught junior high and he was a Aww. basketball coach and he drove the school bus. He's just... He is Manuka. He is. He is Manuka. <laughs> and his dad actually was the mayor for a while too, my grandpa Ray. When wow. I was a So it's, and my mom is the, like, she and dad do Meals on Wheels. They're, they just live these wonderful li- lives mm. of service. We have a big family and everybody in the family is either a farmer, a nurse, paramedic, three librarians, a school teacher, and then my brother works in craft beer. So he's kind wow. of nice. He's the king of the family. <laughs> he's everyone's favorite. So he is. Uh, and so we got into this. I have three siblings and I said, you guys, are there any murders or <laughs> crimes? And everybody's like, ah, there wasn't, wasn't there some guy? And there was really nothing very local. There was like a couple stories in the nearby small city of Joliet, Illinois. But I've never felt comfortable identifying with Joliet because we're a very rural family and Joliet's the big city. They make steel in Joliet. Yeah. And they have a famous prison, right? Yeah. The Stateville prison. So I have, I have a couple of true crime options, but then I also was talking to my, my best friend in Los Angeles, his daughter, Lola, who was a showgirl. She... (laughs) is a huge, passionate murderino. And she flipped flipped out to hear that that I was doing this. And there's a pretty crazy story that happened across the street from them. The interesting perspective of this Hollywood murder story is that it came through the perspective, uh, it came through the the eyes and ears of my godson. Uh, So my best friend lives in this east side neighborhood. And across the street, this older woman named Kathy Davis, who was 81 at the time of this event. She had, I think, worked, uh, she had done a little acting maybe when she was younger. I think she also perhaps was the widow of somebody in, in the entertainment industry. And so she had this big, nice house and was alone So she would rent rooms out to actors and musicians and people in the arts. And so one of them was this actor named Johnny Lewis, who had been on Sons of Anarchy and the OC and some other things and had been dating Katy Perry. 
And it's a sad story. I did some some homework on him, and he he had substance abuse problems. The year leading up to this uh, to this event, he had been in and out of jail. He had he had custody battles over a daughter, I think, mm. and domestic like abuse charges. So nobody was terribly surprised that he got into the kind of trouble that he did. But so my best friend is a wonderful Mr. Mom. His wife has a great job in the film industry. And so he's an artist and a, just, just a wonderful dad of a son and daughter. And his son, his, his older child, let's, let's call him Willis. Willis was in fifth grade. And it was the first time that dad was leaving him home alone to run downtown and take care of some art business. And, you know, he, he was pretty nervous. Uh, was and was like, okay, just you're gonna, you're good. You got everything you need. You know, call me if you have any trouble. And uh, thankfully, uh, Willis loved his video games. They think he was playing a game probably called Spore. I don't know anything about video games, but Spore was the first guess. Civilization was the second guess, and uh, World of Warcraft was the third guess. Mm. So he's playing one of these games. And his room is closest to the street on the second story. So he's, he's playing a game and is super into it and starts hearing screaming and, and thinks, oh, hang on, pause the game. This is not in the game. It's, this is across the street. And this screaming is going on, which turns out to be the actor got into some sort of altercation with his landlady, his mm-hmm. 81-year-old landlady, and beat her to death. <sighs> then Willis called his dad and was like, hey, something really bad's going on. And he said, okay, of course. Like the first time I, I leave you alone, <laughs> just oh, no. stay yeah. inside, don't answer the door, you know, I'll be there as soon as I can. Meanwhile, I'm speculating a little bit here. The next thing that happened was the guy, Johnny, got into it with the neighbor I'm I'm speculating there was a painter up on a ladder at the neighbor's house. And so I'm I'm guessing maybe he saw the painter and was like, oh, shoot, that guy saw me. Or somehow he then proceeded to get into it with this painter and was messing with the painter's ladder. The painter's up on the ladder. The homeowners, uh, which they're calling Alice and Mike to maintain privacy, came out and were like, hey, man, back off our painter. And he started getting violent with all three of them. And there was kind of a scuffle and they managed to shove him off. And the, the painter and the homeowners got into a door and the Alice homeowner slammed the door on the guy's arm. And, and he sort of fell off, which gave them time to like mm-hmm. batten the hatches and get inside. Now, I'm not sure if this may have even happened up inside their home. Because mm. then crazily, the next thing that happens is... He gets to the roof, and I'm unclear on whose roof he got to, but there's a few houses in this neighborhood that using parkour, I'm sorry to laugh at cool terminology, but he got to the roof, and at this point, a few houses down, another friendly neighbor heard the screaming, opened her window and said, hey, I'm calling 911. And that's when he began to try to escape uh, via the roof mm-hmm. and and jumped from house to house. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it was two or three houses that he cleared. 
houses in the hills are often crazily close to each other. Yeah. Um, but near the house that he rented a room in, he tried to leap to the next house and missed and fell three stories <sighs> to his death in the driveway. Oh, now, fortunately, Willis, the fifth grader, didn't really take it. He, all he was, could do was hear. He was mm-hmm. frightened. And, and my friend got home. And of course, the street's full of police and ambulance. And uh, and it was j- just absolutely bananas. Yeah. It's like worst case scenario for a parent leaving a child home totally. for the first time. It's like beyond. It's, yeah. it's it, it was really crazy. And um, thankfully, you know, nobody got hurt more than the, the couple victims, the, the old lady and her cat. Otherwise, people mm. were generally in pretty good shape. But that was a pretty insane thing to have happen and have reported by your 10 or 11-year-old. Totally. Okay. And in a quiet neighborhood where I'm sure not much happens. I mean, that would, it's any neighborhood. That would be terrifying and awful. But thinking you're leaving your kid home in a safe neighborhood, you know. It is, yeah. Also, him being on the move is so freaky. It's like, because I was, I wanted to say like, wait, where, which house is Willis's? Like if this guy's jumping roof to roof, which direction? <sighs> like the idea that suddenly he's like kind of pseudo on the lamb. Yeah. Oh God, it's yeah, awful. It's quite upsetting. And one final detail is that the police investigation intimated that he, or, or alleged that he was quote, high on bath salts. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, unquote. And and definitely, you know, obviously just a tortured guy who had substance abuse problems. But I did some digging and the autopsy revealed that he was not under the influence of any substances. Oh, um, wow. And this went down. And so, you know, it's such a charming neighborhood and it just goes to show like, and something that I've learned from listening to your podcast is there's nothing wrong with keeping your eyes and ears open. And if something or someone seems weird or sketchy in a neighborhood, it's good to just talk to each other about it and maintain like, hey, did you see that guy doing that? Or does he seem okay, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. keep an eye out. And also keep those doors and windows locked. That's right. There's no reason. Like, that's that's all I could think of, too, is like, if this kid's on the second floor near the front, what if, like, there's a back kitchen door open? You know, like, yeah. that kind of thing where, especially in L.A., too, it's like city living, city living. You you don't know. And it doesn't matter where you live, kind of, you know. Yeah. No, it's true. Obviously. And there's, yeah, there's a couple sort of sprees going on right now of people coming up generally people's houses in the hills your your lot is rarely level and so the side of your house that that faces the street is either the uphill side of your lot which means it slopes away from the street or it's the downhill side which means your house is on a hill going up from the street and so there's there's kind of a rash of crimes going on where people are figuring out how to sort of hike or scramble in not from the street side, but from the backyard side. And and often uh, places are, are protected by fences and stuff in a way that people do get really lax and leave their the, the doors facing their yard unlocked. And You're stuff. literally yeah. describing my house right now. 
It's <laughs> freaking me out. But it's true. Like you, I, we never go in our backyard because it's just down at the bottom. And but it's pretty fortified, thankfully. It is, oh, and it's a good reason. It, L.A. and I don't know modern life. I kind of even get into this in my book. Like corporations, consumerism wants us to be isolated. They want to keep us away from each other. So. For, for all these reasons that we, we don't ask questions like, wait a second, who made these Nikes? And where are mm-hmm. they? And what are they getting yeah. made, et cetera? And, and so it's just another great reason to know your neighbors and, and yeah. understand that, you know, we can't exist on, on islands. We have to maintain a community. Obviously, it's important to have some alone time, mm-hmm. but it's also important to know who's on the other side of the fence especially if some shit's going to go down. Definitely. For real. Once we started having garage beers with our garage open, we know all our neighbors now and their dogs. So it's, and they know us, which is nice. It is. It's a a nice thing. We we one time had a neighbor, we were out of town for Thanksgiving in the Hollywood Hills and a neighbor went into the yard downhill from our yard Mm -hmm. and, and like, trimmed the shit out of a bunch of their trees without permission <laughs> Oh no. because they, they were also out of town. It was like Thanksgiving week and everybody came home and was like, what? What, what the hell are you thinking? Like, uh, and it turns out I thankfully hadn't had to learn this previously, but the laws in, in Los Angeles are very stringent when it comes to like a couple of the trees they basically cut down were old, old growth, like centerpiece trees. Mm-hmm. And this thing ended up costing this person big, uh, you know, six figures, like in the hundreds Whoa. of thousands of dollars to replace these trees. Wow. And I mean, I just was so baffled to say, is your sense of neighborliness so eroded? You just thought that would be okay? Because, and I mean, the reason was they have a small deck and if they trimmed the tops off of these, of the neighbor's trees, they could see a corner of the mountain. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When people behave like that, I just, I don't understand how you can take a decision like that without just being aware of how it's going to affect the other person in the, the, you know, the geographical marriage you've entered in. Well, we got in a, in a fight with, with our next door neighbor because our gardener had a gas blower, and and the and uh, our neighbor got really upset about that. I guess you're not supposed to have them in LA, which I didn't know. But he took his hose and sprayed our gardener in our backyard with it. Wow. I know. So we went out there, and I, my husband and I almost got, or my husband almost got in a fight. I mean, it was the closest I've ever seen him get into a fist fight before. And then the wife and I made amends, but it was the most pretentious, like, what's the word? Disgusting. Disgusting. I mean, who move. the fuck do you think you are? Like, come like, knock on like our I door. I should have gotten punched. Yeah. Seriously. Isn't that awful? It's really crazy. Yeah. It's, but I think, too, I mean, like, this is that kind of thing where, who knows what's going on with people in the privacy of their own homes mm-hmm. and that idea that if you're maybe whatever, you could be a drinker, you could be have a certain kind of mental 
state that you're in where if you're kind of spinning and you're like, those trees, and I told them to train, you, you can feel that justification build. Yeah. And then it's just suddenly everyone's out of town, so I'm going to cut these trees down. <laughs> I mean, it's so aggressive and so invasive and kind of like as if they're saying, people aren't here now so I can get it done and then I'm, I get to go home safe and just right. everything's fine. It's so crazy. I really don't get it. it it's it's the weird. Um, I, I believe it was some. It was a very rich person's like second home. Mm. Oh yeah. And I and so I think that le- also leans into the disposability of like mm. they, they don't have to worry about the neighbors because they don't really live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of thing, which is all shameful. I mean, fences and and gardening and dogs. <laughs> These are all things that it can quickly escalate into like bloodthirsty. Totally. Yes. <laughs> We're, yeah, totally. You know, they say good fences make good neighbors. Uh, and that's that's because they're agreed upon by both sides. Like, okay, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be friendly and here's our boundary. Yep. And, and let's, you know, respect that boundary. Totally. I mean, that's why I was filled with fear when I moved into the house that I live in now. And I think about eight days after moving in, my dog, Frank, who is kind of like um, Jack Russell size, uh, I went down at our name. My neighbor has a big kind of downhill field behind their house. And I was standing outside like, where's Frank? And I look and I can see him in the distance just taking huge circle laps in the neighbor's backyard. And I was like, (laughs) Frank! I'm trying to whisper, scream, Frank, get over here. What are you doing? And he was like, he was barking and he was running in circles and then he was barking. And then I was like, okay, well, that this is already like all I can hope for. And luckily it's, it turned out to be true. My neighbor, Gail, is a dream neighbor. She is like the loveliest person. She is so kind and considerate and whatever. And she thought it was really funny. Thank God. Cause it was like, I just kicked off. Like I, I moved it like, yeah, we're here now. My dogs are taking over. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> Meet Frank. He's now in your living room. It was so embarrassing. Thank goodness though, because in anywhere in this country, you know, again and again, you could just as easily live next to somebody who would get their shotgun out. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And not think twice about it because Frank was on their property. Horror. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing about Frank. He's so meaty and muscly that I think any any bullet would repel off of his <laughs> body and then he would start to chew it because he eats anything. Good he's very he's a very strong individual. Can, will you cap this off yeah. with one Nick Offerman, teen Nick Offerman yeah. crime story for us? Um yeah, gosh, which which one has uh, there's a wonderful community theater in Urbana, Illinois, where the University of Illinois is in, in Champaign, Urbana. And my friends and I in the theater department were very involved in working at this community theater. It's called the Station Theater, the Celebration Company at the Station Theater is what it's called. <laughs> and, uh, and we loved it. it. It was like really high quality little theater company in an old little train station into which they, they had built like a black box theater. So, uh, you know, I'm guessing there couldn't have been more than a hundred seats in this place. Mm-hmm. And we would do like assassins or, you know, <laughs> they, they, would, they would just mount, mount like cats. Uh, oh my yes. God. 
<laughs> tiny little plays. And it was really fun and uh, really groovy, you know, central Illinois, like hippies doing theater. And so one night, uh, I usually built the sets for the plays I was in. And so I would always have the keys. I, I would, you know, be sort of like the janitorial guy where like late at night, everybody would be gone and I'd be in charge of sweeping or whatever, locking up. Mm -hmm. So me and a couple friends out behind the train station is a creek called the Boneyard Creek. And we're sitting out by the creek smoking one hitters of marijuana and cigarettes and like just hanging out. And we hear some noises kind of down the creek a little bit, some power tools. And it's maybe, I don't know, I think it was only midnight-ish. It didn't occur to us, like, why are we hearing a circular saw at midnight? <laughs> but we were just kind of hanging out. And a little bit later, I don't know, 15 minutes later, some flashlights were coming along the other side of the creek. And what, what we're sitting on is a is a big drainage pipe, maybe three feet in diameter, that crosses the creek like a bridge. Mm -hmm. So it was just a cool little footbridge-y thing to sit on. So that's where we would sit and smoke. And the flashlights are coming, and my buddy says, oh, it's, uh, it's police, it's cops. And we are, you know, paranoid 19-year-olds, and, and we're like, <laughs> oh, shit. And this is 1989, so it's, it's a little more serious to get caught, at least in our heads, mm -hmm. smoking one-headers. <laughs> so we kind of get up and begin to tiptoe away back towards the theater, at which point, of course, the police notice us and say, hey, stop. And we, of course, run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brilliantly take off running. And we got across, the, past the train station, across the empty lot, into the parking lot, at which point I got tackled by uh, a tiny, incredibly tough woman that might as well have been Holly Hunter. And she... <laughs> She tackled me, sprang to her feet, put her boot on my head, and put her gun on my face. Jesus. What? And my buddy uh, also had the same thing happen to him, basically. And there was two of them. Everybody got, like, tackled and, and cuffed and thrown into the cars, taken to, to the station, which was, like, half a block. <laughs> and... At that point, like basically when that shit went down, I was like, hey, hang on a second. We definitely didn't do like whatever you think we did. Uh, this is not adding up. And they were like, oh, okay, buddy, tell it to the judge. And so they take us to jail. They keep us separate and they interview us each. And by now it's, you know, one, two in the morning and we're pretty freaked out. Yeah. And we all, you know, basically said... Um, no, we were just hanging out, like smoking cigarettes. None of us even admitted that we were smoking pot. We just were, we're just cool theater kids. Like, I don't know, whatever happened. And so I think eventually we all gave the same story separately. And so they, uh, they decided we were okay. And they told us that a restaurant down the creek had been broken into. And for some reason, they kept an inordinate amount of cash on hand. So someone had, like, the power tools, somebody had broken into this restaurant and stolen, oh, like, $20,000 in cash. Wow. So a major felony had been committed, 
And suddenly here's these three young guys running from the police. Yeah. And so thankfully, no, you know, nobody got shot. Yeah. You know, we all kind of like were put back together and, it, and the sun was coming up as we were released into the, the early Urbana morning. And as we walked out the, down the front walk of the, of the sheriff's station, my friend who goes by Gregor Mortis, uh, <laughs> pulled his his one-hitter box out of his crotch that he had crotched, <laughs> kept all the way through the police station. And we were like, are you insane, dude? Because <laughs> us, like, soft, like, white teenagers, you know, it, like, that was like, it might as well have been, you know, a grenade or something. Yeah. And he was like, man, I just bought this, like, four days ago. I'm not going to throw it into the creek. And so we we st- we stood and got high in front of the police station <laughs> to celebrate uh, our our victories as as young uh, privileged assholes. <laughs> I mean, easy for me to say twenty twenty vision, but I would say that that would have to have been an inside job. Someone at that restaurant mm. knew that they didn't do like cash drops or whatever, right? I mean, like, you know, just in terms of it's that's not random as someone's like driving around with the circular saw going, which restaurant (laughs) will I roll the dice with? Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, even knowing what tools to bring and, you know, how, yes. how to break in. This could have been some My Cousin Vinny shit. You could have been. Oh. I mean, and I still think that, okay, like, yes, a felony was committed, but the gun thing is still a little much. It's not, it wasn't a violent crime that no, this person it was, committed. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, yeah. thankfully, I mean, we we're, literally were three, like, theater students, so... <laughs> <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm very grateful that we weren't, you know, I, I was pretty scary looking at that age. Like, you know, I aspired mm. to like a world of black leather jacket from the alley in Chicago and like shaved yeah. my head and stuff. So maybe that's why the gun was drawn on me because I, I looked scary. And I was like, no, I, lo- I love uh, Oscar Wilde, please. <laughs> Wow, that is I'm currently starring in Danny and the Deep Blue Sea. Please don't do this to me. Not now. You start doing a monologue just to prove. (laughs) What is this kid doing? Oy vey. Uh, That's so good. Wow. I mean, what an amazing performance delivery you gave us. Yes. You gave and gave and then gave even more. Five stars. Wow. So five stars. Yeah, that was that. That and the other, um, the other sort of longer saga of spending a night in jail, actually, for being for shoplifting eight Ronnie Millsap cassettes. <laughs> those those taught me my lesson, and that that pretty much, you know, and any consideration I had been giving to a life of crime, mm. pretty much ended in Urbana. Thankfully, yeah. good for you. <laughs> Learned your lesson. Yeah. Those cops taught you well, didn't yeah. they? They did. Yep. <laughs> well, if anything ever happens again and you need bail, the murderinos, we've got your back. Yeah, because you, know? you are one, Nick. Uh, you yeah. really are. Yeah. Especially after that performance. <laughs> Truly. Just, just I mean, wonderful. It was on that night. I might as well have said to that female officer that I would love if she would allow me to both stay sexy and not get murdered. Oh, that was smooth. (laughs) Smooth itself. 
you want to plug anything? I mean, you're Nick Offerman, you know, like. I I mean, I, I'm thrilled uh, that my book is going over very well. Um, mm. And I, I would also just plug, uh, because it's a, a big show, yeah. I, I feel, I'm like, oh, it's out there. But uh, I'm so grateful to be on The Great North. Yeah, The Great North truly is a great show. It's so fun and it's such good characters. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I'm I'm so grateful to be part. Like the people on it are so funny, and but they are just the coolest, um, most benevolent hearts. Uh, the 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 sort of amount of human rights that they package into a flagrantly like shitting, farting, <laughs> like laugh party. But, yep. but meanwhile, it's actually really progressive. I just, I really admire them. And, I, and I'm so grateful that because I sound a certain way, they're like, no, you're of great value to us. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. You have to think of everything. And I just sound like a fucking lumberjack. You sound like Beef Tobin, the lumberjack. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you're that guy. I'll make yeah, that so good. every time. So that, that, there's my plugs. Love it. Oh, that's very Any, good. Anything you want. Nick Offerman, thank you so much for being a guest, a five-star freaking double story, awesome guest. Yes, we appreciate you taking the time out of your intensely packed schedule. Yeah. We we really, I it was a big favor and I really, really appreciate that yes. you actually did it. I, I remain an ardent fan. Thank you for having me. Ditto. <laughs> thank you. Yay. Yay. Nick Offerman, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Bye. Bye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our associate producer is Alejandra Keck. Engineered and mixed by Andrew Eben. Send us your hometowns at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. For more information about the podcast, live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. Goodbye.